we'll get into the Word. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6. And are, are, we, are you good to help me out today? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Brennan help me a little bit today um, with some things. And uh, he's going to need a microphone. You can sit there and do it if you want, if it makes you feel better. Um, so I just need to get him a microphone. Um, turn with me to John chapter 6. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to put a bookmark there because we're going to actually be going uh, somewhere else. Now, real quick, as we're walking through John, let me, let me remind you of real super fast of some of the stuff that's happened. First of all, God became a man. His name is Jesus. Jesus starts revealing who he is. He turns water into wine at a wedding. He clears the temple. He meets with Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, in the middle of the night. That's where we have John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Then, in John chapter 4, he meets with a Samaritan woman. And this is a big deal. He's not supposed to be talking to this woman. It's in the middle of the day. And he tells her, I can give you something to drink, which you will never be thirsty again. We see in John chapter 5 that he heals a man on the Sabbath, and it upsets the religious leaders because you're not supposed to do stuff on the Sabbath. And then he goes through the end of John chapter 5, remember, revealing who he is, claiming to be equal with God and saying there are signs that prove that I am equal to God. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, then he feeds the 5,000 with, with just a little bit of food, just a few loaves and fish, and he feeds probably 20, 25,000 people. And this is a miracle, and they have 12 baskets of food left over when it was all said and done. And then we got into last week that after that happens, they try to make him king, and he disappears. He sends the disciples across the 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 sea, and there's a storm, and then Jesus walks on the water. And that's, that's where we ended up last week with Jesus walking on the water right after he fed these 5,000 men, probably 20,000 if you include women and children. I would highly recommend to anyone who wasn't here last week to go and listen or watch that message. Um, Sometimes I think it's important for you to go back and listen to things just for the teaching content. But I would say last week was one of the most powerful messages I've ever preached. And, and that was not me. It was the Lord. He was just, there was just something on that last week. Um, and whereas today it feels more like it's going to be more of a teaching. Last week there was just something on it. And, and I believe that God moved in such a powerful way. All week long I had people telling me of the way the Lord had worked in their and their hearts during that altar time last week. And it was because of that message, that word that was released last week. So if you weren't here, please uh, go access that. It's, it's on YouTube, and it's anywhere you can listen to a podcast. It's all there. And, and listen to that message from last week about Jesus being with us in the storm. How many know we've all been through storms? Jesus, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. So this is where we find ourselves this week. But what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to back us up. If you'll put a bookmark there in John chapter 6, we're going to go to the front of your Bible. Imagine, 
a movie where it starts way before the actual story, kind of like a setup, a prequel. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to rewind to about 1,400 years or so before John. We're going to go to a man named Moses. If you go with me to Exodus, which is towards the very front of your Bible, In Exodus chapter 1, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, in verse 8, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Verse 13, So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. They work as slaves. At this time, the people of Israel, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of them, and they're living in Egypt, and the Egyptians get scared, and they make them slaves. Go with me to chapter 2. And in verse 23, it says, The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. It says he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So here's the story. We see these millions of people who are enslaved, and just like a really, this is really great storytelling. This is, if this is a movie, it'd be a really great movie scene. You have all these people, and then it pans from these people in this slavery in Egypt, and it pans over to the wilderness, and it's one guy by himself alone. And you think, why are we talking about this one guy now? What does this have to do with anything? And that's where chapter 3 starts. It says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. So here's Moses alone in the wilderness, and he sees a bush that's on fire. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So it wasn't being burnt up. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, and why the bush is not burned When the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called out to him, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. I I wasn't going to get into this, but in this moment, like God actually asked Moses to take his shoes off because the place he's standing is holy ground. And that was always strange to me, but... Some of us, we, we have, that word holy, we use it like, sometimes like, well, they're just so holy, like they're better than you or whatever. But the word holy actually means something that's so unique and so set apart that it's uniquely special, right? And some of us, we kind of have like, like, some of us, when we go to our homes, we say, hey, can you please take your shoes off? Because it's a special place for us, right? Uh, we don't like there to be dirt 
on the floor. Um, we would never take our shoes and sit them up on the counter. That's disgusting. Why? Because the counter has a uniquely special purpose. It's a holy place, if you will. It's set aside for something special. So when Moses walks up to this bush, the Lord says, take your shoes off because the place you're standing is holy ground. And the reason I bring that up is sometimes some of us don't realize that we're in a holy moment and we don't treat it rightly. Some of us, were in our abide time and the Lord's trying to speak to us in this holy moment that's set aside and we don't, we don't value it for what it is. Sometimes it's, it's this worship service right here. We don't realize the uniqueness of the moment that God is trying to be in. And, and when we don't treat holy things as holy, the Lord, He can withdraw from us. We have to recognize the presence of the Lord and value His presence and treat Him as holy when He's in the room, which He's always in the room. But, you know, sometimes He's here and sometimes He's here. You know what I'm saying? And to understand and value that. That's not part of my message today. That's for free. In verse 7, it says, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptian. And this is great news even for us today, that you know the Lord hears your cries. Like He is present. He knows what's going on. In verse 11, Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, God said, I will be with you. Say, I will be. Say, I will be. And this is the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This next portion of Scripture and I want you leaning close, is probably one of the most important scriptures in the entire Word of God. The purpose of the Word of God is for God to reveal who He is to us and give us a guide to live by. This whole book reveals who God is. In verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 14 of Exodus is one of the most powerful verses of God revealing who He is to mankind. And we have it here in front of us today. In verse 13, it says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is His name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. And he said, say to this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Now this phrasing, I am, is it's hard for us to translate into English real well. Because it just mean, doesn't mean I am or I exist, but it actually means I will be. It, not like I will be as in like five minutes from now, like I will be and I will continue to be. I am and I continue being. I will be and I will be. And this is 
great comfort to a people who are in slavery saying, God, where are you? And what he's basically saying is, I am, I am here, I will be, I am present, I exist with you, I'm not far away. It's similar to what we see in Hebrews 13, 5, where, where it's told us that he will never leave us, or what? Forsake us. He's saying, I am. And in English, we're like, you are what? But that's the whole statement right there, and there's power in that. That name, I am. And he says, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. And, and it would be grammatically wrong for Moses to say, I am has sent me. And they're like, you, you Moses, are that I sent you? And so he gives him his name. He gives him this name that we still use today, and it's, it's the name Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. And it basically means, if you were to look at the Hebrew language, he is, or he am, is like the literal translation of that phrase. And this name, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, the Tetragrammaton, was such a special name to the Jewish people, they would not even say it out loud because they didn't want to use the Lord's name in vain. He tells them their name. My name is I am. They're like, we're not going to say God's name. And so when the Jewish people would read the word of God and they would come to that name, Yahweh, they would not say Yahweh. They would say Adonai, which means Lord. Even though it said Yahweh. Sometimes in English we pronounce this Jehovah, Yahweh. It's the same name. And in your Bible, sometimes you'll see capital L-O-R-D, all in caps. And when you see that, that's actually the name, the special name of God, Y-H-W-H, the I Am. It's his special name of who he is. God says to Moses in verse 15, say to the people, the Lord, you see that in all caps, the Lord, who? The I Am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus, I am to be remembered throughout generations. His name is I Am. Turn with me to chapter 16. Here's what happens. God sets the children of Israel free. They escape Egypt. The, you've seen the movie, the sea parts. They all walk across on dry land. Everybody's excited. God has done a miracle for us. He's going to take care of us. Sounds good, right? You know how long seeing an exciting miracle lasts? You know how long it fuels your faith? I don't know. We've all seen exciting miracles. How long does it last? I'd say about six weeks. Here's, here's why. Chapter 16, verse 1, it says, On the 15th day of the second month, so what's that, a month and a half? Six weeks in? After they departed the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died in the hand of the Lord in Egypt! You know, back when they were slaves. We wish we were there. We sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. You have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. 
Like, God, you're good enough to send all these miracles to rescue us from Egypt, but we wish we were back in slavery where we had food because now we're just going to die of hunger. That's faithful people. They're six weeks into this trip. Skip to verse 12. Verse 12, it's the Lord talking. He says, I've heard the grumbling of my people of Israel. And say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, that's the Yahweh, your God. And in the evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay on the ground of the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, a finest frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Say, what is it? For they did not know what it was. It's profound. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And look at verse 31. Now the house of Israel called the name manna. They called it what? Manna. So they just walked out of their tent and there was just this stuff laying all over the ground. They were like, what is it? And that's what they called it. That's what manna means. It means what is it? My dad calls them what is it's. My dad's a big Cheez-Its fan. He eats Cheez-Its like crazy. He said, I heard him preach this once. He said, imagine walking on your front porch and there's just Cheez-Its everywhere, all over the ground. This wasn't Cheez-Its. This is what is it's. It's what manna means. What is it's? And they would go out and they would collect these what is it's and make it into bread, but only enough for that day. If they made too much, if they gathered too much, it would turn wormy before the next day. They were only required to gather as much of that day. Now we come to John. Go back over to John chapter 6. That's the context of everything. The people of Israel in the desert gathering what is its manna. Because you've heard my voice a lot, I'm going to have my friend Brennan help me out this morning. Brennan, could you read to me down through... 22 through 24 this morning. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there. And Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. To win? Uh, 23 and 24. Okay. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So Jesus had just fed them all this bread, and then he disappeared. And then the story they don't know about, he walks on the waves and the storm and all that happens. And then it's the next morning, and they wake up and like, I'm hungry. Hey, I know what we should do. Let's go find Jesus. Because you know what he can do? He can miraculously make bread. So they go looking for Jesus, and they can't find him, and they realize he's across the sea, so they all hop into boats, and they hop across the sea. All right, let's read down to verse 34. 
When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, We must do we must, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the works of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. They said to him, Then what signs do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them the bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. The next two. Yeah. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So there's a few things going on here. First of all, they come seeking him, and Jesus says to them this. Look, look there in verse 26. He said, you're not seeking me because of the signs. And notice when he says signs, he's not just saying like signs. Like He's talking about, remember chapter 5, we went through that big thing, all those signs that he gave that he was equal to God. He said, you're not seeking me because I'm equal to God. You're seeking me, why? Because... Because you want bread. You just want, you just want some, some bread. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, Moses, he had signs. Moses, he, he, gave, he gave people manna. He gave people what is it? Here, what's funny is we're, we're 1,500 years later, and they're still calling it what is it? They still haven't come up with a name for it. And Jesus has, like, what are they trying to do? They're trying to trick Jesus into doing what? Give him more bread. Like, well, you know, Moses gave us bread. He was pretty cool. What are you going to do, Jesus? And Jesus corrects him. He goes, wait a minute. It wasn't Moses that gave you bread. It was the Father. You've got this thing all wrong. It was the Father. And if you're looking for food that endures to eternal life, Here's what you got to do. Verse 29, believe in whom he has sent. I'll say that again. Believe in whom he has sent. See, the, the, the whole point of this lesson this morning, the whole point of this sermon this morning is Jesus is trying to reveal who he is to these people, and they don't like it. What they want is the Jesus that will give them bread. So as Jesus is trying to tell them there's a better bread, they have a really great response in verse 34. What is it? Sir, give us this bread always. Your bread sounds so much better than Moses. We want your bread then. They still are just talking about bread. They're still just talking about bread. Let's read 35 through 40. Then Jesus said to them, the bread of life 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But Jesus said, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing at all that he has given me, but raise it on, up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Yeah. So what does Jesus say? Like, we want this bread. And he goes, okay, I am the bread. I, I am the bread. I have come down from heaven. And, and here's the great news about Jesus. He doesn't lose anything that God gives him. And this should make you feel really assured of your salvation. Like some, t- some of you question, am I really saved? Listen, if you're really saved, you're really saved. If, if you're doubting your salvation, then maybe it's time to get saved. Right? Maybe it's time to surrender your life to Christ. Maybe it's time to truly believe on Him. But if you really have surrendered to Him, you're really His. He's not going to lose you. Everyone who looks at the Son and believes has eternal life. And here's really good news. He raises us up on the last day. Here's what Jesus is saying. You guys keep asking, give us the what is it. And here's what Jesus is saying. I am what it is. I am the bread of life. What is it? It's me. I have come down from heaven. And I'm going to grab this next passage because it's, it's got so much in it right here. It says, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they're like, wait, that can't be you. Verse 32, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? I mean, it's just Jesus. It's just some guy. Which is strange. Just some guy that, by the way, can feed 20,000 people with one lunch. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And that's, that one's hard for us sometimes. Like, wait a minute. No one can come to him unless the Father draws him? And that word draw actually means like compels. Like, like it's the same word they use when they throw out somebody. It's, it's like this forceful word almost. Like, wait, does that mean no one gets saved unless God like compels them to get saved? And that messes with some people. Like, it seems like, does this mean there's predestination? Like, I had no choice at all in the matter? Kind of looks like it. Well, that means I don't have to tell anyone about Jesus ever because God's going to draw who he draws. Well, wait a minute. That's not the only verse in the Bible about stuff. Like the word also tells us to preach the good news, that some people can't come to Christ unless they hear the good news. Pastor Drew, which is it? Is it that God draws us and predestines us, or is it that we have to preach the good news so people can choose Jesus? And the answer to that is yes. Both are true. What does that mean? It means this morning, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, you were chosen by God. 
And how great is that? What confidence does that put inside of you that he chose you? He elected you before the foundations of the Lord. He knew you. But yet, he still wants you to tell others about him. And he uses you in his work to bring others to him. That we are supposed to be missional, not just like, and that's the problem with people who really believe in predestination. They're like, well, God's going to do what he's going to do, so I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And that is such flawed theology. That is such a flaw because we are supposed to preach the good news. We're supposed to tell others about Jesus. And maybe he uses our words to help draw someone. But realize, when you're telling someone about Jesus, it's not you who's saving them. The Lord is simply using you to draw people to him. And he's going to draw who he draws. Verse 45, it is written the prophets, and they will be taught, excuse me, and it was written the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Amen? I am the bread of life. Say that with me. I am the bread of life. Can you say that? I am the bread of life. Okay, are you with me this morning? Remember when Jesus was walking on the water and the disciples are freaking out because they thought they saw a ghost? It's up there in verse 20. Jesus says to them, your translation might read, it is I. Did you know you can actually translate that differently? An equally good translation would be, I am. Like there's Jesus walking on the water and he's saying, I am. And it would not have been lost on the disciples what he was saying there. He's literally calling himself God. And right here, we see one of seven I am statements that Jesus makes. This is a big deal. He's saying, I am the bread of life. And that word I am is the same language. It's that same special name of God that is used. He's saying, I am. I am the I am. And what am I? I am the bread of life. In fact, if you go back and read it, he's actually saying, the bread of life, I am. He's actually making himself the, the, the predicate of the sentence, which in the Greek language means he's making himself the subject, the thing that matters most in the sentence. He's saying, the bread of life, I am. And when the Jewish people, and you got to think, there's a few thousand people who have followed him across the, the, the sea to find him, to find more food. And he's telling them, the bread of life, I am. It would have really ticked some of them off, because what is he doing right here? He's calling himself God. He's calling himself Yahweh. And for those who say, well, Jesus never claims to be God in John, here he is doing it. Now, we can miss this in, in the English translation of this, but he's saying, the bread of life, I am. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. That's how good their bread was. Their what is it? This is bread that comes down from heaven, so the one may eat of it, and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. 
and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And this is where Jesus starts to get really weird. Because at this point, you're like, okay, Jesus is the bread of life. I'm good with that. And then he says, yeah, it's my flesh. This should have been good news, but it actually was disturbing news. And the Jews, in verse 52, it says, they disputed among themselves, saying, how could this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, it's one of those truly, truly statements in, the, in John, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I am him as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also lives because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread of the fathers, ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus was saying these things at church, at the synagogue, which was probably more packed than it had ever been because of all the hundreds of thousands of people following Jesus. And you got to think as Jesus is getting up there, he's up in front of the synagogue and he's saying, all right, here's, here's the deal. The bread, it's my flesh. You're going to have to eat my flesh. And you're going to have to drink my blood. And it freaked people out. And his disciples were going, what are you doing? Look at the crowd. You, you just had the greatest outreach you'd ever had. I mean, it's better than crud wars. There was so much food. We had so many people following us, Jesus. We were never going to have to worry about anything again. Like, they want you to be king. And now you're saying some really weird stuff. You know, some of us, we don't like it when weird stuff happens in church. Because it's like, oh, no. I brought my friend to church today, and now weird stuff is happening. Yeah, God's not worried about what's weird. He's worried about what glorifies him. And he will use anything to do it, even if it's weird. And sometimes it offends people. How many know people are being offended right now by Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood? Brennan, can I get you to do 60 and 61? When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is the hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense of this? Do you take offense of this? Are you offended by it? Do you think that the words of Christ sometimes offend us? I, I, that's, that's a problem that, like, there's some days I have hard messages that, I, I don't want to preach because, like, this might offend some people. Y'all, if the Word of God never offends you, then you're not really reading the Word of God. There's things in the Bible I don't like. 
that I wish weren't there. But they're there. So either I have to try to massage this to mean what I want it to mean, right? That's not what it really meant. It's not what he really meant. Or I have to change me to align with the Word of God. I have to bend beneath the weight of the Word. I have to truly know Him. I have to know the I am. And he said, I am the bread of life. Well, that must mean he is the bread of life. And, and we use this portion of Scripture sometimes when we take communion. And that's what we did last week to end the week. We, we took communion together. We broke bread and, and we drank the cup. I, I want to tell you, like, we don't believe, like, there's some that believe that when you take communion, like, it literally transforms into the body and blood of Jesus. We don't, we don't believe that, right? It's a symbol of the body and blood of Jesus. And Jesus, even though we use that passage sometimes when taking communion, he's not directly talking about communion right there. What he's talking about is a partnership with you that costs something of you, that might be offensive to you. Do you accept the words of Jesus as eternal life? Do you believe he is who he says he is? Or do you just think he's some good teacher? Because at this point, they think he's just some good teacher. Verse 62 says, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. That's kind of like what Danny was saying a while ago. He's like, I thought it was all me. I'm big and strong. I can handle it. And he realized it was the Spirit that gave you life. The flesh is no help at all. You can't save yourself. It's the Lord who saves you. It's the Lord who draws you. You're no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. And it says, because Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to the Father unless it is, no, no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Like, our entire lives, our entire salvation is dependent on the Father drawing us. Thank God He drew us to Him. Thank God He's called us to Him this morning. Like, we can rejoice in that and that Jesus isn't going to lose us. Um, can you help me out? It says, after this, Many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus completely ruined his ministry. It's like people show up for Friend Day or they show up for Crud Wars and they eat the good food. Remember last September we had Friend Day out here and so many people showed up, right? And then kids show up to Crud Wars to throw food at each other. It's funny, one of them were eating food, the other one were throwing food at each other. It's all food though. We like food around here. And they show up because it's fun. It's cool. Wow, this is neat. Jesus is neat. We say this often. What you win people with is what you win them to. So you have to keep doing it over and over. So if we try to win people with, with really fancy sermon illustrations or lights and flashy things, we think we need to draw people in. 
We'll have to maintain those things and grow them to keep people coming. But are they truly, are they truly being disciples of Jesus Christ? Or do they just like the shiny things? You know what's sad for me as a pastor is like, like, I, I don't know who it is, but like you have to like sometimes like, are there people in my own congregation that are here that don't really know Jesus? And I can't like, I can't see inside your heart. I don't know who's who or where you're at. I only know what people tell me. But are there some people that are here just because it's a shiny thing? Or do we truly believe the words of Jesus? And I remember when I first came uh, to FHOP one day, Jamie and I were talking. Our youth group had grown really big. We had one, right? And then that had grown to, what, 150 at one point? And we were like, whoa, we went from one to 150. And then a couple years later, we were like back down to like 40. And she was like, I don't understand. Like, what are we doing wrong? And I was like, nothing. Like, even Jesus' own ministry was that. It was, come on. And the crowds would swell. And then he'd say something hard. And people would leave because it was too hard. Who can, who can handle this? And that's what happened. As we begin to say, listen, if, if you're going to serve Jesus, this is what it requires. You're going to have to take up your cross and follow him. You're going to have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. You're going to have to die to yourself. That's what that means. That means you're going to have to die to you and live in him. And that's hard. And people walked away. Verse 67 So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? That's crazy. He went from thousands to twelve. Simon answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Like, it wasn't, well, Jesus, I mean, you turn water into wine and you can make bread out of nothing. That's not what it was. It was, you alone have the words of eternal life. Like, life is in you and you alone. The reason people walk away from Jesus It's because they never really knew him as Lord. They never really knew him as the bread of life. All they knew that was he gave bread. You know, I gave that testimony earlier of like the Lord blessing my wife and I. Do you realize that's just bread? Like him blessing us financially, that's just bread. And for us to be like, well, thanks for the bread, God. That wasn't the point. The point was he was trying to reveal himself to us and say, like, like I'm blessing you not so you can have stuff. I'm blessing you so you can realize who I am and know me better as a good father. So the question is, where are you this morning? 
Is Jesus just the cosmic Santa of your life? You pray and hope he gives you the gifts you need. God, heal me. God, save me. God, give me money. God, give me, give me, give me, give me. Or do we realize that every time he moves in our life, every time he heals our heart or our body and moves in our situation, all he's trying to do is show himself to us. Jesus answers in verse 70 and said to them, did I not choose you, the 12? He says, yet one of you is the devil. And he spoke about Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. I think it's crazy because even here, everyone walks away besides the 12, but even one of those 12 still didn't get it. And we know from Scripture that Judas was the guy who carried around the money. Maybe he just saw Jesus as bread, but not the bread of life. Just, God, provide for me. Give me what I need. But didn't realize that he was truly the Son of God. Have we positioned ourselves in a place to where when other things are offered to us, when other things in the world come up, we look at it and say, but where else would we go? Like at this point in my life, living for Jesus, like I, that's, that's where I feel I'm at. Like where else would I go? Where else could I go and be happy? I could walk away from Jesus, but I'd be miserable because he alone is eternal life. It's just him. Will you bow your heads for a moment? Let's say if we're honest. All of us at some point in our life have viewed Jesus as just a bread maker. And if we're honest, there's times that we've come in this altar just saying, God, I just need you to prove who you are again prove who you are again. I'm, I'm going to say, if God never does another thing for me, He's proved enough. This morning, the cry of my heart is that you would truly know what it is. That Jesus is the bread of life. Scripture tells us that He is the great I Am. 
What a powerful name for the name of God. He is the I am. He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. Right? He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. He is Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord our righteousness. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. He is all these things. But it's not just for us, it's to reveal who he is. And so this is, this is the cry of my heart, that this week, that you will look for him, not because he's a bread giver, because he is the bread himself. Like, eat the word this week. Like, spend time with the Lord. Fight for your time. And Lord, you're not going to, listen, you're not going to feel like getting into this word, eating this word sometimes. It's because you have a real enemy that really doesn't want you to eat. You're going to have to fight for it, to dive into the word of God, your time in prayer, to talk to the Lord. You know, scripture tells us that you can be honest and open with the God of the universe. Tell him exactly how you're feeling. It doesn't offend him or hurt his feelings. It doesn't bother him, the feelings you have. What bothers him is when you build a wall or you become distant from him. Dive into the word of God this week. Dive into your time of prayer. Say, Lord, I don't want to just know you as the bread giver, but I want to know you as life itself. And see if he doesn't take you to a deeper place this week. See if he doesn't meet you in the place of prayer this week. This whole thing, all of John, is Jesus revealing who he is. God revealing who he is through Jesus. He is the I am. Will you stand with me? If you need prayer, we're always available to pray with you. And thank you for soldiering with me. That was an extremely long passage. And thank you, Brennan, for helping me read through it so it wasn't just my voice droning on the whole time. It's 50-some-odd verses we went through today, and it's a long section. And But it's important. The most important part we read is that we say from this pulpit is the words from this book itself. If we did nothing but get up and read, it would be great. Will you bow your heads with me? Father God, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you that you are the bread of life. God, as we go from this place, God, let us feed on who you are. Let that be the true source of life. Nothing else in life matters, that you are living water, that you are the bread of life. And God, as freely as we have received, Father, let us give to those around us. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.